Welcome back to the Wolf of Queen Street podcast. Today on the show, uh, Millie Kerr, New Zealand cricketer who plays for Wellington and New Zealand and has some of the one of the some amazing stats out there in her sort of young career, you think by age, but has been in the scene for many years, has the highest score from a woman's player in an ODI match, and also has the is the youngest cricketer to ever make a double century in an ODI for male or female uh, in history. And uh, such amazing stats and performances out there. And uh, Mili, I'm super excited to have you on the show today, but not just about what you achieved in the cricket world, but also what you stand up for in the mental health world, um, your relationship with I Am Hope, and also your Treading Water um, video series that you've done and your Out of the Rough series that you build in to try and help people around anxiety and depression. And uh, Mili, welcome to the show. Kia ora, Lauren. Thanks, thanks for having me. It's a lovely intro. Um, yeah, very excited to talk to you and been listening to a few of your things and heard a lot of good stuff as well from a few mates. So excited to chat today. Uh, that's awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, at, uh, we're just talking about off air. We, we have we have a, a close friend between ourselves, so it was really nice to uh, to learn a little bit more about yourself, Amelia. And then actually, you know, there's a lot of things people will see out um, out in the world. Like I said, is um, you know, you're a young cricket superstar that came into the scene at the age of 14. Um, I believe that's when you sign up for Wellington, and then just took everything, took the world by storm um, and becoming almost like one of the the key superstars in the world and everyone looking into it goes, you know, you've got the whole world um, you know, on your shoulders and all this amazing stuff. But what a lot of people didn't realize is all the other stuff in the behind the scenes that, you know, that you would have been struggling with on a day-to-day basis as well. Yeah, I think it was obviously starting my career pretty young, playing for Wellington at 14. And I remember when I was about nine years old, watching New Zealand, the White Ferns play on TV and I saw that and I wanted to be a White Fern and since that day I made Dad get up early before us school and throw balls at me at the nets down in Tawa and for me it was just from that moment it was my goal to represent New Zealand in cricket and you know fortunately I've I guess achieved that goal and now it's getting the best out of myself and, and being the best I can be and um. Yeah, I guess at that age, you don't really know what to expect. You're just trying to live out your childhood dream. And for me, when I'm playing the sport I love, it comes back to that why I started playing, why why I love it. And, you know, cricket is a pretty up and down game. You can go from getting a duck to a hundreds. But if you're doing what you love with good people around you, it makes it a whole lot easier to ride the wave. But I guess along the journey, I've learned so much about myself and, um, probably since maybe even 2018, but in 2020, that's when things started going a bit more downhill for me. There was travelling the world with COVID for cricket, which definitely made things more difficult, but there had been a few personal experiences as well, and cricket was my escape, and it was my happy place, and then it just, um, I guess, became all-consuming, and I had an injury, and it kind of took my happy place away from me and brought all these thoughts in my head to the surface because I had no escape. And um, it was a real balancing act in a, a lot of years, I guess. So I was seeing a counsellor psychologist every week. And then to be able to turn that pain into my passion, um, I think that's been the most pleasing thing about it all. More pleasing than any any runs or wickets or games I've won has been being able to help others and turn that pain into my passion.
that is so powerful. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of people would have hasn't seen or would have known that about it. So obviously, you released a video called Treading Water, um, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a video series as part of your Out of the Rough um, campaign you do with I'm Hope. Is is that not what it is, Mealy? Yeah, that's kind of for me how it all started in hmm. twenty. Oh, I don't actually know. Twenty twenty two, I think. Started twenty twenty two. We're playing in the Home World Cup. And it got to the end and we were on leave and I was just, I was nervous about going away or going and playing cricket again because I'd had that break. And just being in hotel rooms again, all of that, when I'd got myself into a good place. But I was nervous and I loved the World Cup and then I thought, what am I going to do when I'm on leave? I want to do something that's going to help others because the way I felt so alone, I don't want anyone else to feel that. And I want them to know they're not alone. And we've seen people in the media speak up about mental health, but it's often people with high high profile. And it's I guess that's awesome because you're using your platform for the good. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to interview a range of different people. So um, there were more stories to relate to for for every person. And that's kind of where that came, came to. I gave Mike King a call. Um, and he was so uh, just fully supportive of it, loved the idea and to have that partnership with I'm Hope to do these videos and for them to have their platform to reach the people that they do to help the youth of New Zealand, giving access to counselling. It's um, I was so pleased to help, to be in partnership with I'm Hope because of what they stand for. And then, yeah, it was a lot of work and those videos came out and I was so happy with the product, but it was, yeah, that was the whole reason behind it because when you're going through something, you feel so alone. So to have a voice or to have someone standing there for you and a living example of someone who came out the other side, I think it's just extremely powerful. Uh, it, it truly is. Uh, you know, I've watched it through, um, you know, your your video on treading water and it was just inspirational and everything else and how honest and truthful it was. And like I said, is to anyone else that's watching and listening at the moment that, uh, you know, like I said, Millie Kerr, you, you know, you've been all, you're all over the world and all in the news, is, but go look into this video and have a watch of it because this is one of those big things we see in the world that we always think, you know, everything's perfect and we always think that everyone's, you know, on the top and the rest of it. But that's not necessarily the case for every situ- every single person because some of us might be struggling with some stuff that uh, that isn't known or that you can't really see from the public eye. Um, so, Mila, I just want to talk a little bit, uh, you know, on your video when you're talking about treading water about the you know, your situation that that got into you there and then almost that, um, I would call it your, would you have called it a family intervention that happened when you came home and all your family members came in and sort of the point of when you're realizing, okay, I need to now take control of my mental health and then the next steps that happened after that? Yeah, I was at my crisis point in a horrible place and I was in Christchurch and for a camp with the white ferns and I just I don't know how I got there but I just needed to get away I probably thought getting away from Wellington this place where I was so low and so down that if I went away it might take some weight off my shoulders and then it uh, everything just got worse I wasn't sleeping and I was thinking how am I going to see how am I going to face another day I don't know how I can carry on um and I eventually then got sent home from the training camp for safety reasons and had a teammate fly back home to me and all I remember saying was I don't want to see my family 
And it's funny because my family, we are so close. Like all my cousins, my aunties, uncles, everyone. But I was like, I can't see them. I don't want them to see me like this because I don't, I know how much they love and care for me. I don't want them to feel like they've done anything wrong or to feel hurt by it. So that was kind of like my one thing I said. And I got home to my place and um, I said, the only people that can come is my sister and her partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so they came over and then 10 minutes later, my mum and dad walked through the door and I could tell they were a bit like, it looked like they had been crying. Um, and then that just kind of hit me because I did not want them to be there. I didn't know they were coming. So I went out to walk to my room just to breathe. And then I saw my auntie and uncle walk in and I just had a massive panic attack uh, for about 30 minutes, just crying, and I just wanted to run away. I don't want to see anyone. I just wanted to run away. And then my grandparents came in and, and whatnot, and we ended up all sitting in the lounge, and my dad read out this uh, little speech, which he shared on the Treading Water videos mm-hmm. monologue, and um it was so powerful and it took so long for him to read it out because of the tears. And I saw that and I saw everybody in that room in tears. And for me, I was in a horrible place. But from that moment on, I knew I had their support around me. I had their love and their care. And one, it felt like I had just been in, in a room watching my own funeral. That's what it felt like. And I saw that and I saw the pain it had impacted on my family. And from that moment on, I just made a promise that I'm going to get better for them. And eventually it then got to the point where I wanted to get better for myself. But I saw that and I know I love my family so much. And when I when I saw them that broken, I just knew that was the only option. I had to get better. And I had I had the love and the strength of my family to help me through. That's uh, that's so amazing to hear, Millie, on that one. And I mean, a, a big thing as well. I think a lot of this, a lot of times that we, a lot of us that has gone through it, uh, you know, myself included, when I went through off the back of my surgery and I went into you know my deep holes. One of the biggest things that we struggle with, and the, the biggest things we put on ourselves, is this whole, hey. I don't want to almost put my problem on someone else or let them see me weak or let them see me in a different light, my family and my close people around me. And therefore I'm going to almost keep it to myself, you know? And like you said, you said before, you didn't want, you don't want anyone of your family to be around you at this moment. Cause you didn't, you didn't want them to see that. Cause there was so much love and respect and all of it. And a lot of us go to that same thing. And then we don't actually, we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And I know you've you've spoken out it, about it, but and as you said, no, as soon as that moment happened and you realized this all together, you were like, okay, I understand it now. We are actually all together and we can slowly move through it together. Yeah, it's just I reverse that situation and if that's a family member of mine or a friend struggling, I'm there for them. Their problem mm-hmm. is, doesn't become my problem. I just want to help them. And it's funny how when you're the one going through something, you don't see it that way. And then I think the other thing for me was like, I have an amazing family. I'm doing what I love. I have this amazing life that I love. So why am I feeling like this? Why is, Mm -hmm. like, am I ungrateful? And it's not fair that 
you know, people have it so much worse and I'm feeling feeling this way. I just didn't want to seem ungrateful for the feelings I had, but I think, you know, there's been stuff I've been through and every feeling is valid um, to you personally. And, yeah, to be able to open up and share things, it's that's, that takes courage and that takes strength and being vulnerable being vulnerable is a strength. It's, um, that, that's what it is rather than hiding it all up because the hardest thing to do is speak up. But once you tell one person, each time it gets a little bit easier. And it's it's bloody hard. It doesn't just just happen. But you tell one and it's just, yeah, it's that what you're holding in and what you've been holding on is just being released slightly. Because if you're holding it all into yourself, that gets heavy and that gets too tough. Um, it's so true. One of the biggest things that um, I learned and I said to people, you know, when I was going through my moment as well, was that the the hardest step you're ever going to take is your first one, right? So the we we worry sometimes about you know five steps, ten steps, twenty steps. How am I going to take this control and that control? But the hardest one. And the most important one is just that first one we're going to take, no matter how small or big it is. And once you get through it, that realization, as you said, as you said, goes, okay, I can do the next thing and I can do the next one. And you can slowly start moving forward, uh, you know, to where you're trying to, uh, to go towards. And then you start losing also that self-judgment. That self-judgment is such a is such a killer out there in our world. Like you said, you know, you questioned, why do I feel like this? You know, I've got more than the, I've gotten more than someone else, and I've got a situation that's better than someone else. Why do I feel like this? I shouldn't feel like this, and it just and then you shove it further and further down, and, and then almost makes yourself even feel worse. You know, mm. we should we should be allowing ourselves to go. Hey, I don't feel well, and irrespective of the judgment or my situation, I still don't feel well. I need to try and look into it or try and help it. Yeah, totally. I think. One step at a time is so key. We can get so far far ahead of ourselves, and yeah. that's just with everyday life as well. We mm-hmm. one, it's living in the moment too, and appreciating what you have in that moment. But when you're going through something, it's you know the end result seems so far away. I remember saying it felt like I was running a race and I couldn't see the finish line. Yeah, and you know you just you don't see how it can get better. But I think when you, it's one step at a time and it can be the smallest step too. And with the journey to getting better with mental health, it's, it's not a linear path. You know, you're going to have ups and downs. And, but I think once you've been through it and, can come, and you come out the other side, you can get through anything. It's a horrible illness and we sometimes as a society don't see it like that. You know, um, in one of my friend's videos, he was talking about it as a cancer, mm-hmm. and if you catch it early, you have a chance of get, getting getting through. And by catching it early, that can be learning about, I guess, understanding yourself, talking about it, whatever. But if you leave it too late to get to the crisis point, that's where it's, you know, stage three, stage four. And I think as a society, it's no one chooses to have this. No one wants this. It's an illness and it, it affects us and there's different reasons as to why um, different people have it, but it's everywhere. We all feel things and it's only human. And I think the more we can understand that, especially for our youth going through and growing up and with social media, all of that, the more we can understand that 
you know, this is, we're human and we feel things and this is part of, part of life. And if we can accept that and have more resources, it's only going to help, help the future and, and help people in this, um, I guess, mental health crisis that we're having. Um, so true on that, Millie. So one thing I want to ask you today, and it's also something that we as a society don't do well enough, and I think we need to do uh, to do it more, is is fundamentally ask if you're okay. So my question to you today right now is, how are you doing and how are you feeling at the moment? I'm going good. I think, you know, we ask that question, are you okay? And, you know, everyone's just like, good, thanks. But when you truly ask, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And for me, um, it's been a long journey and I have my ups and downs. And and that's happened, that's probably happened since 2020. Um, but to now, I've probably been in the best place that I've ever been in. Um, you know, I still feel things and things happen in life. My papa passed away not too long ago and... I kind of grew up with my grandparents, so that was that was tough. But the way he went about it made it easier, in a way, and seeing how he carried himself and the memories we had. But there's there's things where you know you get sad, and but I know that's okay. I know that's okay to feel that emotion that it will pass, and that where I am now, I just understand myself so much better. I appreciate the little things so much more, and um. I have great balance in my life and I'm doing what I love. So if someone asks how I'm going, I am going good and I I truly mean that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, you're so true in the sense of it, it's hard. You know, we need to ask the question, but we need to ask it to get the right answer. You know, the we need to allow people to be vulnerable. Um, you know, I was I was never vulnerable before my brain tumor and, and my situations and I never would have thought of showing weakness out there. And, you know, since then, <laughs> I, I'm going I'm to have a bit of a laugh because I'm thinking back. But I, I just messaged a very good friend of mine that I went over to South Africa for his wedding a couple of months ago. I went down a rabbit hole about a week ago, merely on YouTube videos and watching like emotional songs. And I was sitting there in front of the YouTube, in front of my, my screen, almost like crying and having a crying moment that I had to message my friend and going, I don't know what I've done, but I'm emotional and I'm crying at videos. And I, mm-hmm. and we've got this joke that when we, we're acting like we're getting emotional, we say that, that there's very strong pollen in the air, that there's a lot of pollen. So I've got hay yeah. fever. So that's why my eyes are watering. So I messaged him and going, I don't know what's going on. There's a lot of pollen in my house at the moment. And, you know, and having this sort of moment. And I think of it that four or five years ago before my surgery, I would have never allowed myself to feel vulnerable or to feel an actual moment, which is there was nothing wrong with it. I, I, I had an emotional moment because I was watching stuff that resonated with me, that made me feel good or made me feel bad. And in society, we, we should allow people to do this more. And then also with that freedom, know that, hey, some of the stuff doesn't go your way and some of the stuff does. Mm. Yeah, I think one, vulnerability equals strength and two, vulnerability brings people together and it takes courage and if you're that first person to do it, I think one, it allows other people to feel like they can be vulnerable with you and that's that's the importance of it is that one, it brings people together and it shows strength and if we can kind of change that stigma and that viewpoint of it, um hopefully people can just share how they feel because we all feel things so deeply that's 
humans like we feel mm-hmm. and if we don't if we keep shutting it down that's when things get get hard we reach a breaking point but if we can just say how we feel in that moment you know that that's how you how you can get through and you've got to use the people around you and you know I'm I'm lucky with my support network my family my friends um and if you don't have that family or you don't have People you feel like you can talk to, I promise you there's one person in your life that's there. There's always one person that will be there for you and use that person. Yeah, that is so true. Um, so, Millie, what's what's next in this journey? You know, we'll, we'll come around. I know there's some people that's going to be watching or listening that's going, hey, I'm watching this episode to learn about Millie and her cricket. We'll get to the cricket later, right? Um, so what's next on your current journey around around this and your mental health, uh, not just your journey, but obviously, you know, you got out of the rough, that whole series. Where, where's the next steps and where do you see the next couple of years for yourself and what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, it's, um, I guess while playing cricket, it's it's busy, but I want to keep doing things in this space to help. And I'm hoping that I can do some more work pretty soon with I'm Hope and as, I guess a similar thing because I just think the more stories that are out there, the more um, chance you have on impacting different people and, and more people. So that's kind of at the moment trying to plan and get some people together, which which isn't easy, you know, people have busy lives and busy schedules. So, um, yeah, at the moment, looking at doing that. Um, and I think even though it's hard work at times and doing it, it's so rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and, I, and I love it. And I love that I'm in partnership with I Am Hope and, and what they do. So I think for me it's just when I can speak up about things in this space, it's using that chance to do it and you know if that that's heard by someone else that's hopefully going to help someone out there and so for me I guess that's where I am and looking at I guess little projects when I can with I'm hope um but yeah I'm back back off leave now so back into training and Mm -hmm. um yeah back into the full swing of things um and in six weeks time we head to Sri Lanka with the white ferns so um it's a nice little period at home for me, but I'm definitely looking forward to kind of back into routine, working hard, and hopefully doing a bit more in the mental health space too. Awesome. Um, so let's. So you say you're back into a swing of it with the with the cricket and everything else, and six weeks into Sri Lanka. Talk us through a little bit. I'm really intrigued now. We'll, we'll switch over a little bit to the cricket uh, cricket side of stuff. Is talk us through your when you're back into your season. What's your day to day life looks like? How does you know what do you? How's your training and into games and because. You know, I think a lot of times people forget, uh, like, hey, I play sport for a profession. Okay, cool. You just go down for an hour here and an hour there, not realizing how much more there is to it um, to do this actually as your day job. So talk me sort of through your your natural week or couple of weeks you would have when you're actually in the thick of it, um, in the season, and you know, and how busy it is and what you get up to. Yes, this is my first week, um, I guess, back hitting cricket ball since yeah. India and so what I have this week is I think also when you're at home in a winter period you can push yourself a bit harder because you don't have games to play so it doesn't matter if you're a bit sore or whatever you don't need to be fresh um, but yeah so this week I have 
four four batting sessions, three bowling sessions, and three within the bowling sessions, three um, throwing sessions just to get your throwing loads up. And then um, I have three to four gym strength sessions, um, three running sessions, and two off-feet cardio sessions. Um, I think I think if I got my numbers right, that's somewhere between fifteen and seventeen sessions just this week. Correct. Correct. Uh, yeah, I guess it's about <laughs> that. It's, um, oh, that. Yeah, and always always have a. I'll probably have one one rest day a week. So Sunday will be a rest day, and then mm-hmm. Wednesday I'll keep as a quiet day too. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll just probably do one session that day. Yep, oh, that's um, amazing. Um, is the motivation still there? I mean, you've, uh, I know what, uh, 22, you know, still very young, but you've been in the scene for, you know, and we said almost close to part of the decade. Is that fire still in the belly like you had it when you were 14 starting for Wellington and wanting to get into the White Ferns? Is, is, is that drive, you know, still there? Um, obviously with the last couple of years with what you went through and all the rest of it, is it still pushing you just to, to be on top? Yeah, I um I love like I am a real nuffy. I love cricket and I love training. I love the feeling of working hard and achieving things. So for me, um each day I just want to get better and I yeah, I love every aspect of the game. Um both on the field and off the field, the relationships you build and I think for me I'm a, I'm an extremely competitive person. And so that's with myself and others too. And I want to know what, what I do and I want to work hard to give myself the best opportunity to succeed, to help the team. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, for me, I've always loved training and loved pushing myself to the limit and I want to be the best I can be. And um, there's a lot of cricket coming up and I want to prepare well and how I go about that for me is really important. So, I'm lucky that I absolutely love training. Um, I definitely know how to switch off in between, but I'm very excited to get back into it, excited to get back playing for New Zealand especially. I love playing for New Zealand, and we have an amazing group of people, so the love is there. And I think, um, well, I, I hope so. I can't predict the future, but with how I am, I think the love I have for the game and for cricket and and the boring stuff. I love the boring stuff that hopefully uh, that will stay the same for a long time. <laughs> That's amazing. So where is your favourite field to play on outside of Wellington? Okay. So obviously, uh, obviously, oh. home, obviously home field is always going to be, you know, your, your passion, your, that sort of stuff. Where is uh, stadiums that you're, you love to or you just want to play there more or has a you know, emotional hook to you? Where, where's those, where, where are those places? Um, for me, definitely Queenstown, John Davies mm-hmm. Oval. Um, one, it's always a great wicket. So um, you get value for your runs. So I love I love playing there. But also for me, that was my um first game back after my mental health break. Mm-hmm. Um we had a series there against India and it was kind of in COVID time. So we we're there for three weeks and one the place and just how peaceful it is. I love swimming, so being by the lake each day. But yeah, it's a special tour for me and one being my first one back. So uh that's definitely my favourite place to play. 
um, in New Zealand. And then overseas, I've just been in India and I've been to India once before. And the passion that country has for cricket and going over and playing in India is incredible. So, um, yeah, I love going over there to, there to play. Uh, so probably India as a country is a very special place to go to. And, yeah, I love Queenstown, the, the place, but also the facilities there are awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I was hoping you were going to say Newlands. Come on, Newlands. <laughs> <laughs> that is a beautiful ground. That's probably yeah. one of the most beautiful, actually. Yeah, yeah, so that, like that's that, yeah, that's my that's that. that's my home that's my hometown. To anyone, oh. obviously, anyone that knows cricket is you know the stadium, um, the sta- you got Newlands Cricket Field, and then you got Table Mountain that just runs across the back. It's just, it's just crazy. Um, yeah, like like Queenstown with the beauty in that. And I was going to say Queenstown would totally be an amazing place, not just for the cricket venue, but for what Queenstown actually is. And I know you love Queenstown. Uh, um, I think you were just you just there. Uh, recently yeah. so uh, um so it's an amazing place um so what else you know we talk about you going into the season what's 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 your goal for the next 12 months cricket wise you know where whatever you sat down starting the season and thought of you know that you want to get through for for the season is it do you call it the 23 season or do you call it the 24 season i can't remember how the cricket calendar years work yeah i don't really know myself ever it seems <laughs> to be now that we're just playing the time um, yeah. And in, in terms of my goals, I guess, one, it's again, it's, I guess it goes back to a little bit like the mental health. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. And um, for me, it's just getting value out of each session that I have. I mean, when I go out and play, I want to I compete. And if I'm clear in my game plan, that's when I, I feel my best. And I think there's a lot of tours this year and um, subcontinent conditions and World Cups coming up. In Bangladesh and India, and uh, that means playing spin is probably going to be a key factor. So, I guess in that those terms, that's where training becomes specific and how I want to play that. And bowling, it's again bowling a lot of balls and uh, just getting the consistency going and trying to get my leg spinner turning, turning more as well, especially going to the conditions we're going to play in. But I guess for me, it's how I can get in the zone in each session. In each game, I want to be the best and how I can c- contribute to the team in all three facets. And um, for me, I guess that's how I go about my cricket and I want to be con- a consistent member and someone that performs under pressure and can win win games in big moments. So that's that's the player you want to be as well as a great team member that helps others. Um, it won't always come off, but when it does, you know, it's always special. But I think in a team sport, you know, when it doesn't come off, often someone else has had a great day. So mm-hmm. being able to celebrate their success is just as important um, because otherwise the game, you're going to ride the lows too much. Um, so true. So we go back again. When you joined Wellington, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, your your superstar was uh, Sophie Devine, Correct. And you then, she started at Wellington at 14 as well, I think. And you, you started at Wellington and she was there. How was it, how was that as a youngster coming in and seeing your, how would I say, your idol being in the same team? Yeah, I remember joining the Blaze Winter Squad uh, before that season. I was 13 and I probably, I didn't say a word the whole season. And I never felt nervous playing because, 
I just love competing and I love playing and all of that. And I felt completely respected and valued on the field and, and that. But, yeah, I was so young and being able to try at 14, talk to your idols or relate to them is just you're just so nervous and shy. Like you don't know what to do. So I was extremely quiet, didn't say a word and just kind of turned up to training and bold and batted and whatever. Um, but to, yeah, play alongside the likes of Sophie Devine, who also a Tawa College girl, you know, you kind of heard her story growing up. It was you wanted to do the same and you wanted to be it and you, and you saw that it was possible. So to play with her for a number of years now is, is pretty cool. And to see also how far her game has come since then is incredible and it just shows that no matter where you are in your career, there's always um, there's always room to improve and to challenge yourself. And that's been awesome to see playing with, um, I guess, the older players in the group with Sophie or Susie Bates as well, that no matter how old you are, you're always striving to get better and get the best out of yourself. And, and that's what you want from all your players. Oh, that's amazing. So... Talk, talk me a little bit about um, something, you know, that's uh, totally separate that, that you do is about you um, being a teacher's aide. Yes. So that was, I think, 2020, maybe. Yeah, 2020. I um, So I finished school in 2018 right. and then did um, some part-time study. And then 2020, I had a bit more time. You know, I think COVID had happened and whatnot. And we didn't have as many tours. And I thought, um, one, it was at the intermediate I used to go to. My uncle taught there. My sister was teaching there. And my cousin was teacher aiding. And I just thought, what a great way to give back. And also something, again, I'm passionate about to help kids. Um, so to work with the kids I did, autistic kids and mm-hmm. uh, kids with behavioral issues, I absolutely loved it. Um I tell you what, a day at a school is way more tiring than training all day. <laughs> um, but the rewards you get from it and helping others and the relationships you can build was incredible. And I think, again, experiences like that, it just, again, provides you with that gratitude. But also um, for what I believe in and what I stand for, it's, I'm always wanted to help others and to have that opportunity at Tawa was pretty special for me. And um, I always remember it, actually, mm-hmm. that that experience I had because um, it was pretty eye-opening and and rewarding. And, yeah, just to work with those kids was, a, was an incredible experience. Oh, that's, that's, that's so amazing. It's those, it's those sorts of those small things, you know, that um, means a lot to, the, like, yourself that does it, but it means so much more to the kids and then when I was uh, – it's part of it and it's um, – it's, we forget in life that sometimes the small things we do that have the biggest impact, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. And it's going out and finding those, the more of those smaller things and, and, and doing them more often. Um, but thanks, uh, Millie, for this. Uh, you know, as we get in sort of to the um, end of today's show, what's something you can leave our audience with today, sort of a thought or something to consider about? And then also um, in, in the back of that is where can people go to find out more about um, information if they're struggling themselves or looking for some guidance? Um, I think one message from me, and this is what my papa said to me the night that he um, came around for that family inter- intervention and it was 
this too shall pass. And for me, that is an amazing message because time is a healer and whatever you're feeling now will pass. And I think holding on to that is so important. Um, So, yeah, this too shall pass. To go find out more, I guess, about my story, about the people I've interviewed, uh, you can go onto my website, which is outoftherough.nz, and that has all the treading water videos on there and then also a bit about, I guess, why I wanted to do what I did. Um, and, yeah, so for me, that's that's got a lot of information there. And um, But, yeah, this two, shelf, two, this two shell pass is massive for me. And then I think just moving forward and something I bring myself back to is making the time to do something for myself each day because to help others you got to help yourself and for me it's finding at some point in the day something that I enjoy living in the moment um and being grateful for that and that's definitely helped me each day to get myself and to the best headspace um and it's the littlest thing smallest thing in the world that can make my day now and I think if we can appreciate that and be grateful for those things, um, the world is so much more of a better place. Yeah, that's amazing, Million. Thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, great words from your, your granddad around that. And, you know, I just want to say a big, massive thank you for coming on the, the show today and uh, for for show, sharing your story, your vulnerability, what you went through, and just to show the world again that, you know, from the public eye, people always think that everything looks shiny and it looks amazing, everything else, but we always oh. humans go through our struggles and everything else. And we all have our moments and we just need to realize that in our moments, it's okay to have your moment. Um, and if you need help to seek it and try and find the support that's around there. But thanks, Mili, for sharing your story today. Uh, it means so much. Uh, I know to me, I've been looking forward to this and my audience will absolutely love it. And um, thank you. And to everyone else, as I always say, I don't care about you taking this and saying share it out there and like it out there. All I care about is if there's something resonated about what Mealy said today, if there's something resonated about just this overall chat, or there's someone you know um, that could take guidance from what he said today, is take this information and just send it to them and say, hey, this might help you. Because like we said, the, f- the hardest step is that first one. We've got to help others to take that first step or even ourselves to take that first step and that we can move forward and go from there. But as always, at the end of the day, stay beautiful, stay powerful, and I hope to see you again.